first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Uh, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep Podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherload. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Alistair, how the hell are you? Uh, I'm alright. Um... <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's a while. The, it's been chaos is what it's been. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I probably have almost as much, if not more, to talk about than I did the last time I came on, um, <laughs> which last time went for about an hour and a half, if I remember correctly, so uh, like yeah. <laughs> I might try and, I'll try to shorten that up, but uh, I'm just going to adjust my camera here. There we go. <laughs> so, so let's bring people kind of back up to speed a little bit here, like... The last time you were on, you were like, as we said, at Realm Seat 2021, it was like, okay, uh, this game might happen one day. And then <laughs> the next thing I know, it's like, you've got a publishing deal and you're fucking like the biggest thing ever. And like G-Man and Civi are blowing you up all over the place. Like it, I did I have to be honest. Like I usually think like I have a good eye for like what's going to be kick ass or whatever. But like I did not see that coming as quickly as it did. And like, what's yeah. that whole process been like for you? Like, how are you feeling? Well, are you, so are actually, you okay? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no. So to actually go into uh, maybe to set the stage a bit better, where we were around the time we did the last interview. Mm-hmm. was um, I had uh, me and Elijah uh, were work- working part-time on the game and we were working full-time jobs. So I was working at a custom fiberglass parts manufacturer, which sucked. Uh, and uh, my but Elijah was working at an IT tech type phone store, uh, which also sucked. Uh and we had just released the demo around that time. And, uh, yeah, I think we were starting to gain a lot of traction kind of in the week or two following that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, the first week was pretty busy uh, overall, but, like, the kind of what came after was just overwhelming. Because uh, we had especially around this time, the demo was only available on our Discord. So we had people piling into our Discord. And uh, I was trying to manage a community that was going from 300 people that had slowly accumulated over the course of like four years to 2,000 in in the course of like three weeks. (laughs) Uh, And we didn't have any moderators at that time. It was just me. 
Um, <laughs> and I was trying to manage the community and go to my day job and work on the game. And uh, it was hell. Uh, so I think then uh, Realms Deep probably happened shortly after this period because it was like September. And I think we released yeah. the demo in July. Um, that lines up something like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, by this time, G-Man Lives had covered the game. Civi had uh, been sharing it around on Twitter. Civi was actually, I think, one of the first people who played it because mm-hmm. uh, I was chatting with him, you know, DMs on Twitter. Um, and then uh, Realms Deep happened, and it, it was uh, that was really fun, uh, really stressful, and a, a lot over the course of a few days. Uh, thankfully, I didn't have to work any of those days, so I was there able to be there for the entire event but we were kind of just at this point emotionally where all we wanted to do was work on the game uh but most of our time was being consumed by our day jobs Mm -hmm. and by the time we'd actually get home we were tired and exhausted and couldn't get much done and uh especially considering i also had to manage the community try and find people who are going to be moderators and all that stuff and um it was uh, it, it was certainly a, a very difficult time for us. Uh, and then Realms Deep happened. And after Realms Deep, Fred, uh, the head of 3D Realms, uh, in the Discord, he was like, Hey, uh, we, are, we, can't, we can't help any of you guys. Um, <laughs> we have way too many projects going on right now. Uh, which for me was a really big disappointment because uh, our composer, M- Michael Markey, he works with 3D Realms, and he was telling me, oh, I'm going to try and like you know pitch this to them mm-hmm. and uh, potentially break us in. And he was pretty confident because like, they were really liking it. He was pretty confident that they were going to be able to uh, help us out. So when Fred said that, I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> But uh, a part of that same thread, he said, well, we can't help you, but we have a business partner called 1C Entertainment, and they are looking for games to pick up. And uh, so we're going to kind of shuffle some of you guys toward toward them if you guys need help or whatever with your game. Uh, and I was like, I reached out to Fred. I was like, yeah, I'd be interested in doing that. And uh, I asked him what we needed to get together uh, to kind of help get um, increase the odds of us getting picked up by them. And he said, I'll put a game pitch together and all and yada, yada, yada. And so I did that. I presented it to Fred and he was like, yeah, that looks pretty good. Uh, and he said, I'm going to try and get in touch with the folks from one scene before he could even do that. I think like either the same day or the day after the folks from one C called me and uh, they were like, Hey, uh, we want to have a meeting with you and your team. Uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and I, I got and I got together with Elijah, and we set some time aside for that. And then we had a meeting, I think, the week after or during, or during the weekend. And uh, probably about two, three minutes into the meeting, after uh, we had introduced ourselves, they were like, yeah, so we want to publish Viscera Fest. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, was a really, like, which I think kind of took us aback, but it was really exciting for the both of us, uh, especially because, financially speaking, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, They were going to kind of help boost us along, uh, which was kind of what we needed because we were really looking for a way to uh, get up and out of the rut of having to work day jobs uh, and also on the game because that's not ideal uh, because those two fight each other all the time. I was around that time, uh, oh God, uh, I was getting up at five in the morning and probably working about till two or three in the morning, <laughs> just uh, on the game. <laughs> it was uh, not fun. Uh, so I was always functioning on less than ideal amounts of sleep, <laughs> um, except for the weekends, which was like, uh, I got to sleep as much as I want, but uh, usually wasn't enough. <laughs> um, but anyways, so uh, over the course of the next several months, we were having talks back and forth with them, just uh, figuring out the business side of the deal. Uh, and that went on until around about December when we finalized our agreement and we basically signed on to working with 1C. I don't think we met, um, I don't think we announced it till February, uh, but we were like, by that point, like locked in and uh, basically working with 1C Entertainment. And they just wanted to wait until they had like something to announce to share the fact that uh, they were publishing the game because uh, they wanted to make sure news got out as much as possible. Um, in the time, in that sort of time period as well, we were looking, uh, we were basically taking the demo and just kind of bringing it up to a higher standard of quality, uh, trying to make it as accessible and as uh, basically just like adding quality of life features that most people expect games to have that it didn't because it was a really early demo. Uh, like we didn't have difficulty settings early on. We didn't have uh, options. <laughs> I, I mean, like we had a few, but like not enough that would, would be like, you know, what people would expect or want from a game. So we were, we were doing that. Uh, and then, over the course of the first couple of months, it was kind of just working on continuing work on Chapter 1 and finishing that stuff up. And then we ran into uh, some issues with my bank because my bank, uh, basically, <laughs> uh, they refused to take any payments that 1C was sending us. Uh, now, the first couple of times, it was my fault. Uh, I had given some incorrect information uh, because mostly because my bank's website is poorly laid out and I had no idea what anything <laughs> was supposed to be. Uh, but I had given some wrong information and so I took some time to correct it. And then they kept rejecting the payments. So we weren't getting crap from 1C for about five months uh, in terms of what payments we were supposed to be getting. And by this time I had also, uh, I had also moved to being part-time. Elijah had completely quit his job. Uh, and Elijah was needing me to pay him. Uh, and he, so he was financially struggling at this point. And uh, I, I mean, I was doing fine because I still had a day job, but uh, it was still really stressful because I was like, I need to pay him and I can't get any money because freaking my bank's being stupid. <laughs> um, Dude, I, I had the worst time just getting my plane tickets for Rome Steve. Like, <laughs> I, just like, I don't even know what a fucking IBAN or a Swift is, but like, God help me. Like, yeah. Let's just roll the dice and see what happens. 
Yeah, no. Uh, so I ended up, I had, I had, I got a different bank. Uh, mm-hmm. I basically moved everything over from the bank I was using prior to a new bank. And thankfully, we started getting paid uh, six months later after we had, our, we were already several months deep into missed payments. Um, but uh, so we started trucking along, and then I think. Uh, I'm just trying to remember the months of the year in my head. Uh, I think we were supposed to originally release the early access in April. And I think it got pushed back to May. I know it was delayed by a month. I just don't remember the exact month. It seems like that would have been the time frame because I remember it being around my birthday. Which yeah. Was and I was just like, I mean, Actually, I'm a- a little disappointed, but you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it, uh, it got pushed back several times actually, because it was supposed to be, like I said, I think it was supposed to be in April, got pushed back to May 10th. And the thing was, is that whatever month it actually was, and people will know because of what I'm about to say, Res- uh, Resident Evil 8 was coming out like right around like three days, like either after or before Vistara Fest. And our publisher came to us and they were like, hey, so yeah, we know that we rescheduled the date and everything, but we want to reschedule it again because we think that from a business standpoint, uh, it will be much better and you'll be able to gain a lot more, much more traction in this period of the month as opposed to this period of the month. So I think we got bumped back to like the 20th, 20th 26th? It was May something. 20th. Uh, okay, yeah, so we got bumped back to May 20th, because on, like, either May 10th or whenever, Resident Evil uh, 8 was releasing. Uh, they didn't tell us that. I'm assuming that's why. It sounds like a pretty reasonable explanation in my head, because we'd be competing with Resident Evil 8. Um, but yeah, uh, then the early access released. Uh, oh, and that was a mad dash, because basically, like I said, I was working part-time, and that was still too much for me. Uh, I was still like completely overwhelmed and stressed. And within this period, I basically completely mentally and emotionally shut down. Uh, just because of like how overwhelmed I was with what I needed to do on the game, what was going on in my personal life, what was going on with work. Uh, so as a result, uh, I, I, I kind of just I completely shut down. Uh, and I, I ended up talking to my parents and I was like, I can't keep doing this. <laughs> um, and, uh, they recommended that I just quit my job altogether. Um, cause they said like, not if there's going to be a time in your life where, uh, you know, you take chances and you pursue career ventures that may be risky, that would be the time to do it. I uh, don't, don't put yourself through hell just to, uh, have money because <laughs> I'm living with my parents right now. Uh, so uh, I, because of that, uh, I decided to quit my job. Uh, and that was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so much more relaxed now. Uh, so much less overwhelmed because of that. Uh, not having to go into work four days a week. And having that cut into development time. Because the other thing, too, was is we had set up milestones, as you do when you're working on a game with a publisher. 
And our publisher, I don't think, and we, neither us nor our publisher really had a good idea of how long things were actually going to take, which is one of the reasons why the EA was delayed. Um, and, uh, so we were basically crunching like hell to get this done. And I was working the part-time job. Uh, and I probably quit my job about two months prior to us releasing an early access. One level that I was working on had taken significantly longer than it was supposed to. And then I basically had to cram a level and an entire hub space into one month, um, which, uh, was not fun. Uh, because basically the level I'd been working on prior was only supposed to take a half a month, then it took a full month. Yep. Uh, and the other half of that month was supposed to be dedicated to the hub stuff. Uh, so we were doing a mad dash to finish the boss, and I was just like, hey, we're not going to make this on time. Uh, so our publisher was like, okay, we'll, uh, we'll rearrange dates and stuff. Uh, and uh, it's probably the best decision we made. <laughs> but... Um, Following that, we released into early access, and uh, yeah, uh, boy, uh, the rest is kind of a blur after that. I remember, uh, oh boy, let's see, CV played it, uh, and he sort of threw it into, well, he, he, he did, actually, he threw, he had done a video prior to us releasing the early access, I think. Right, he, but the, he, there was he, the... Uh, the grab bag thing. Yeah, he, 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 like, he, he talked about the demo and that. Mm -hmm. uh, he did play it and share it on Twitter, but he hasn't done a video on Chapter 1 yet, which I don't expect him to, because knowing Civi, he typically waits, uh, nowadays anyways, he waits until something is fully out. Like He does like one video to kind of preamble, like talking about it as it's like in progress, and then he does a video on when it's finished, just because like, he's got so much stuff to cover nowadays that I'm sure he's like, you know, Trying to keep up with everything uh, that's updating on a week-to-week -week basis would be a nightmare, uh, especially with how big things have gotten in the indie shooter scene lately. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, so Civi did a video on the demo. Uh, I sent a build to G-Man Lives, and uh, that went interestingly. Uh, so for context, G-Man Lives had not played the demo since the very, very, very early builds I had sent him that he did a video on. And around that time, we didn't have difficulty settings. <laughs> and Viscerfest, when it didn't have difficulty settings, was very stupidly easy because I was told when uh, we were passing around internal builds that the game was very, very hard. Uh, <laughs> so as a result... I, I kind of panic nerfed things at the last minute before we released the demo. And as a result, the demo's balancing was really off in a lot of places. Um, but basically, the demo was pretty stupidly easy. At least in my opinion, it was. I'm sure other people would disagree. Uh, people did keep dying to the Thunderbirds. Uh, but, yeah, uh, so he hadn't played since then. And so when he did, uh, finally, after... Uh, so much had changed. He didn't have a great time. <laughs> um, he, I, I, I thought he wanted to kill me. To be honest, um, he, he was, he was very angry with me, uh, and uh, <laughs> which was weird because over the course of the next couple of days, he kind of completely changed his tune. Because somebody asked him on Twitter, 
whether or not he liked it. And he, and he said he, he did. He thought it was amazing. Uh, so I'm very confused what happened and uh, kind of scared. Uh, but yeah, no, he, um, he had some choice words for me. Uh, I'll just say that. <laughs> um, but moving on from there, I mean, we've mostly just been working on Chapter 2 recently, which has been uh, a drug trip. <laughs> um, cha- chapter 2 is... Uh, <sighs> I think the best way I can put it is that I've been planning, especially in regards to story stuff, I've been planning for a lot of this stuff so long that to actually see it come to fruition and to like actually be like physically there and like I can see how the end result is starting to look. It's very, very weird and sentimental for me because it's mm-hmm. like I've been, this stuff has been stuck in my head for so long uh, and it's only really been loosely planned out for so long uh, that it's, it's like, man, I can, I almost feel like I can see the end of the tunnel now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, uh, so I, I guess guess that's your catch up. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, you've come a very, very long way as a public speaker since the first time we spoke. Yeah, um, I've had yeah. to talk to a lot more people. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. It's like, um, I don't know, you, you catch people on that initial, like, right when the wave's about to break, which I'm just now starting to see that I've been doing this for like, you know, two years or so. And I'm now starting to see that return on investment where it's like, Oh shit. Osri wants to talk to me. (laughs) I'm awesome. Like that that feels so good. But yeah, like I, you know, I catch guys like you, like right when the, the waves is like about to come and then, I just see it break on the shore and, and it's amazing. It's just like such a fucking beautiful feeling to see people like you uh, kind of get to fulfill their dreams in a way. Yeah. Even if that does mean living with your parents, no offense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, thankfully I have a pretty good relationship with my parents. Yeah. Um, they've been, I'm looking forward to going back to live with my mom one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've been incredibly supportive of me. Uh, you know, obviously we don't always agree on everything, mm-hmm. but uh, I'd say for the most part, we, we have a pretty understanding relationship with one another. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, honestly like what I've said is kind of probably just scratching the surface because I think I did have more planned to say, uh, but it's <laughs> okay. it's eluding me. It's eluding me right now. We're only like 21 minutes in. We got plenty of time. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the next thing would be to talk about chapter two because uh, – Oh boy. <laughs> and trying not to spoil things. <laughs> so I mean in, in chapter one we kind of follow Caroline through, you know, what seems to be a very simple boomer shooter start, right? It's like, okay, we got a few levels here, we got some enemies, blah blah blah. And then you just you go full fucking like a medieval blast off into the ethereal universe. <laughs> And then I'm just, all right, what, what is going on? And yeah, so carry us on from there. So I'm actually, uh, so it's actually worth noting. So that, so that, so that level, oh God. (laughs) So, so that level C1L6, which is called the Wayward Watchers, that was originally meant to be just a small part of the prior level Slipgate Central. Um, That was just going to be a brief sequence where you'd like go through the teleporter 
little story bit would play out, and you get a key, and then you go back to kind of the main level, and you'd be like, well, what the heck is that? Um, but uh, over the course of the game's de uh, development, whilst it was like in that demo state, a lot of people had really taken a liking to Carolyn, and they wanted to know a lot more about her. And financially, we had kind of gotten in a position... What? <laughs> I'm sure they do. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not like that. A lot of people were very intrigued. Like, people were asking me, like, well, why does she have the scar? Or why, you know, what the, what the hell is going on with her? What's with the intro where she has, like, 50 tongues that are 70 feet long? Um, <laughs> like, what's going on? Uh, who, what's, who is she? Um, and originally, that West stuff we were planning to cover... But, like, we were mostly planning to just hint at it. And, like, if we got a chance to do another game, maybe we'd actually get to, to tackling that. But, like, financially speaking, we had gotten to a point where it was like, oh, well, we can kind of afford to do more story-wise than we thought we were going to be able to. Uh, because my prior cutscene artist, who was Sarah Kanaepin, bless her heart, wonderful woman, was expensive as hell. <laughs> But she had to step down, and as a result, Gianni, or one of our voice actors' wife, she she Get Gianni. <laughs> she came in and that uh, guy. She, Just so everyone knows, yes, that guy. Yes, it, it's that Gianni, the meme lord. Uh, yes, um, but his wife, uh, she's an artist, and she basically stepped in to kind of uh, take Sarah's place, and actually, uh, just so I don't breeze over her uh for a brief stint we were going to work with sarah kanaepin's sister uh trixie but she was going through some health issues and she that didn't last very long unfortunately but she did do some great character turnaround sheets for us um but anyways uh so mariah key comes in and she costs like half the amount that sarah does um so i was like oh uh, well, I suddenly have, I'm sitting on a lot more money now. Uh, people want to know more about Carolyn and I honestly, it, it can be pretty easily worked into this story. Why not? Because <laughs> we were, like I said, we were already kind of vaguely hinting at this stuff throughout the course of the game anyways. It's just like, there were never like any direct, like, it's never something that was directly addressed. Mm -hmm. uh, despite the fact that it was kind of pivotal to the story in some ways. Um, so I was like, hey, uh, let's let's tackle Carolyn's uh, backstory and stuff. And uh, yeah, no, we... Jeez. Uh, uh, so basically, that small section... Uh, I, think, I think what had happened was that small section... Uh, I was working on C-105, and C-105 was already getting so long... Then I was like, screw it. Let's just turn it, that thing into its own level. Um, and in the process, I was like, yeah. Uh, I, I was introducing some new elements uh, that hadn't been there prior to that period. And uh, so in, in, a, in a way to sort of like flesh out some of the stuff I was planning to do with Carolyn's uh, backstory and whatnot. And uh, as a result, I was like, hey. Let's uh, let's put this in here. It fits perfectly here. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, so yeah, so so that happened. Uh, it, it, sort of going into some of Carolyn's background stuff, and chapter two certainly is kind of like the turning point 
where uh, you start getting some answers in that regard. Jeez. Uh, Again, I'm trying to tread lightly because <laughs> I feel like, okay. So, so chapter two takes place on earth. Uh, and for those of you who don't know in the nightmare that is Viscera Fest's lore, uh, earth is hell. Uh, basically earth has gone undergone an industrial apocalypse. Most of humanity is extinct. Uh, and, uh, earth is now being ru- basically run by a race known as the deep ones, which, uh, if you've, uh, if anybody's at, at all familiar with H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, then uh, you'll certainly recognize that name, because um, everybody loves fish people. Uh, but yeah, so kind of, I, I mentioned this in our last uh, interview, but Viscera mm-hmm. pretty heavily takes from uh, Lovecraft lore, and uh, kind of where that spawned, I would say was in the book Shadow Over Innsmouth. It's, like, very heavily... Um, it's very heavily hinted at that, like, if the Deep Ones wanted to take over Earth, they very easily could. Uh, and with, in, in, in Viscera Fest, I was like, I don't want humans to be, like, the dominant race in the universe or whatever, because that's every single freaking sci-fi universe. There's always humans everywhere. <laughs> and it's really dumb. Uh, <laughs> and it's just not interesting because we're like always the most boring part of any sci-fi universe. Uh, so I was like, eh, screw it. Uh, humans are dead. <laughs> There's like five of them left and they're like kept in breeding camps because they're considered like, uh, an, a race bordering on extinction and I was like wouldn't it be interesting if uh, like you know they're ba- they're basically like treated how like we treat animals here when they're about to die <laughs> where it's just like hey let's just like I'll pile them in here and try to like bring them back up from like extinction or whatever um, but yeah so the deep ones are basically running earth uh, they are kind of there's like a few humans left on earth and uh, the Deep Ones are effectively at odds with them, mm-hmm. uh, basically using them as slaves. And uh, throughout the course, they'll start kind of see hints uh, and stuff toward that. Uh, you get a much better idea of what the United Scientific Conglomerate is. Actually, I think there's a direct answer to what the United Scientific Conglomerate is actually doing and all of that. Um, there is, uh, yeah, that happens right toward the end of the chapter. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's, it's set in Japan, uh, because of course it is, uh, I, and, uh, it's, it's, my composer said this, uh, about a much older build of the game, uh, back when we hit completely different levels and everything, and it was running in that trash engine known as the Blender Game Engine that I talked about last time, uh, but, uh, it, 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 it's such a change of scenery, and we're taking advantage of so much more mechanically now than we had in chapter one that it almost feels like a different game. Right. Um, like, obviously, a lot of the combat stuff is still relatively similar because, like, you know, we still have a lot of the same ideologies and same perspectives, but there's just so much more to play with now, and everything looks so different and feels so different atmospherically. And... Um, and yet, like it, it's just, and it, and it is a lot. It's it's significantly more story heavy than chapter one, two. Like even within like the environmental stuff, um, 
like one thing that comes to mind is I mentioned like there's a bit of conflict between like uh, cult and the cult cults of Earth and stuff and some deep ones, and uh, there's a scene, or or not a scene, but a chunk of a level we're going through, and there's like a little fishing hut uh, that deep ones have that you can clearly tell has been like raided by uh, some humans. There's like shotgun shells on the floor. There's like blood everywhere. There's like deep ones like hung up on pikes outside. Um, there's, uh, yeah. And so we're doing a lot more both in terms of environmental storytelling. So what you did there, you said pikes, huh? Kidding. Oh, fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot more going on in terms of environmental storytelling, a lot more going on in terms of, uh, just, uh, kind of what we were doing in chapter one with, uh, voice acting and the cutscenes, And we actually, we just got off of doing some stuff with uh, Jake the Voice, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, he uh, he's going to be in the game. Um, I got to get Jake back on the show, man. Like between because the last time he was on in the keep, I was just like, dude, your portfolio is insane, and it wasn't <laughs> even half of what it is now. And he yes. was just like, oh no, he's like the most self-deprecating little punk I've ever met in my life. Dude. He's just, oh, you know, it's I'm not. Uh, and he now he's doing, he's, yeah, he's doing you guys. He did everything for, uh, like for hyper strange, like this year. He interviewed, like, uh, Jenna Polson, our voice actor for Carolyn. He's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, he, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking, oh God. Ooh, <laughs> this is going to be a lot of really scattered thoughts going on forward. That's fine. That's um, the whole point of the show. But yeah, no. Uh, so, kind of where we're what we're working on right now is I'm we're about the ha- we're we're in the halfway point of development for chapter two. Currently, we're importing a third level of chapter two, and I am working on the fourth level, uh, which is sort of the first boss level of chapter two. Because going forward into the latter chapters, we're actually going to kind of like. Chapter two, chapter one is one boss. Chapter two will have two bosses, and chapter three will have three bosses. Um, and I'm working on the first boss level right now, uh, and that'll be fun because we get to introduce uh, our first uh, boss as an enemy type uh, entity. <laughs> so basically, everybody who loves uh, stuff like Battle Lords will have something to look forward to. Uh, except it'll be way more of a pain in the butt than they are. <laughs> We're just thinking about the point in Doom where, like, where cyber demons become like, oh, there's a, another fucking, oh, oh god, okay, here's there's three. It's <laughs> everywhere now. <laughs> and and they, well, then like sigil ends with like, okay, cyber demon, mm-hmm. check. Spider Mastermind, check. Mm-hmm. What if we throw both at the same time? Like, oh yeah. come on, John, like you're better than this. <laughs> I love, I love, one of the things I love, like, I, I freaking, I love Sigil so much. I actually hit the oh, big yeah. box for Sigil. Um, Damn. but, uh, one of, the things that, you, huh? <laughs> one of the things I love that Sigil does is that whenever they throw cyber demons out there, there's usually like a teleporter hidden somewhere in the level that you can use to telefrag them. So, uh, but like they usually, they don't expect you to actually kill the cyber demons. They're treated more like giant mobile turrets. Um, it's almost a throwback fun. to Shub Niggerot from Quake, right? Where eh, the whole point really. of the Shub, Shub, Shub and Quake doesn't really do anything. <laughs> well, the, the point being that you 
you're intended to find the route. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's not as simple as like shoot to kill and like your instinct in, in sigil or in any doom thing is to, you know, cyber demon. Okay. Circle strafe and kill. And you can go that route, but you're intended to find this alternative way. This means. Well, well, another thing I really love that, uh, it kind of makes that more difficult in sigil is sigil kind of takes place, uh, not takes place. It, it, it very heavily utilizes um, like mm-hmm. very claustrophobic level design. And one of the things I like about very claustrophobic level design is that uh, it effectively forces people to be much more conscious of how they're moving in the play space. Mm-hmm. One of the things with like big open arenas and whatever, as fun as they can be, is that like effectively the, the act of moving throughout them becomes kind of mindless you're just, cause like you, you can do anything. Like you can do, you can go anywhere. It doesn't matter. Just hop around, just jump around, just run around, circle, strafe, whatever. Like it doesn't matter because there's nothing obstructing your path. There's, you know, probably a few places where you can break line of sight or whatever, but you, you kind of just can do whatever. And when you're working within that much more claustrophobic space, you as a player have to be much more conscious of what you are doing, how you are maneuvering yourself. Uh, cause just like, one minor error in that can uh, results in punishment coming much faster. And it, it means, and I say this a lot, uh, but the context in which you place your gameplay elements is a big part to play in how people perceive them. Because an imp in a big open arena is nothing. It, it's, you know, you sneeze and he dies. <laughs> but like, you know, if like you put that imp in a room where you, barely have enough space to maneuver it's it's like a much more harrowing experience um and uh and and obviously that's something we use a lot in viscera fest (laughs) um but uh yeah because i mean like i wouldn't i wouldn't say most of the enemies are difficult to deal with in viscera fest uh but i'd say that a lot of like what kind of instigates some of the challenges just how they're used uh I, i like I'm debating whether or not I want to go on this rant. Um, I, I can I take think, the reins for a bit if you want. Like yeah. I would say that in my experience of the first episode of Viscera Fest, like mm-hmm. it's not no one enemy is difficult to deal with. It's the mm-hmm. much like a a very expertly crafted like almost uh, slaughter map in Doom. <laughs> like it's the combination and the setting that really sets it up and makes it difficult. So like, for instance, I, I forget which level it is, but there's this one room where you have like a, you have this uh, blocked off part where you can see extra enemies behind these uh, like force fields. And you also have a downstairs area and you have a bunch of enemies that are on the upstairs area. If you jump to the downstairs area, you're introduced now to another set of enemies mm-hmm. and they're not, exactly you know like oh no not those enemies it's more like oh the enemies that are upstairs are still raining hellfire on me i (laughs) shouldn't have made this choice now i got to go back up the ladder and deal with it and you constantly throughout the game kind of cycle the player through those sorts of difficult choices as you said because of the way that you set up these sort of claustrophobic environments and i think that's like pretty much the game in a nutshell so far at least yeah you're you're very good at that yeah the um what I was going to say was a lot of how people perceive an enemy is entirely based off of the context they're used in. I don't think people would hate Archviles as much as they do if when you're fighting an Archvile, there's like 
maybe two imps and a pinky running around, and you always have a massive pillar you can hide behind to easily break line of sight. Like at that point, I think people would probably view uh, Archviles uh, as kind of a joke because it's like, oh, well, it's like, yeah, they can resurrect enemies and they have like this line of sight hits can, can attack, but who cares? Like, they're easy. it's easy. You can break line of sight with them. There's, you know, they usually like you know there's just a few enemies running around. It's it's no big deal. Oh, and it's then, when like, Major Arlene throws thirty of them at you. <laughs> yeah. Like that's when it, like, that's why people hate Archfiles. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't like slaughter maps. I I hate I, slaughter maps. I, uh, I don't hate them, but I they're not yeah. my thing. You know what for I mean? For me, for for me, one of the, the reason why I don't like slaughter maps is because they usually devolve into being a very mindless slog. What I like is the Quake philosophy, and it's one of the reasons why I very heavily prefer Quake to Doom, uh, is that in Quake, you have significantly smaller groups of enemies to deal with. Uh, But each individual enemy is much more of a threat because they're both tankier and more aggressive than any of the enemies were in Doom. And as a result, you have to be effectively... It, it makes the experience significantly less mindless because you can track what's going on. It's like, yes, there's less enemies, but they're all significantly more dangerous than 500 imps are going to be or whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And as a result, it's like, oh, I got to be much more conscious. It's like, uh, basically your moment to moment decisions matter much more uh, than I feel like they do on a slaughter map where it's just like, you know, circle strafe. In Doom, Use my super shotgun on imps. <laughs> the enemies are very slow in their attacks. Yes. You know, their projectiles are also very slow. So it's much more like about you being graceful with the timing. Whereas in Quake, I agree with you. It's like, um, now that motherfucker's coming. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, like the, speaking of Quake, actually, uh, I'll show from my butt here. Uh, I, I've uh, There's a wonderful guy on our Discord. Uh, I mean, Flesh Workshop, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made me this beautiful shambler that you guys can get. <laughs> you'll, ha- you'll have to give me a picture because this, this one's going to be probably audio only, but I'll make sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Mix it in. Uh, I'm showing it to the camera that you guys can't see. <laughs> <laughs> so is that a furry shambler? Or? It, is, it, it is indeed a fuzzy shambler. I'll take okay. him off his stand. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's... He's a fuzzy boy, but there is a bald variant as well. You guys can get if you guys don't like fuzzy variants. There is a bald variant of the shampoo as well. I told them, I told them to make that. Um, but yeah, no. Um, anyways, uh, but that's kind of like a big philosophy uh, going that I had going into Vista Festivals. I wanted to make sure it's like every enemy placement feels like it matters in an encounter. It's like you don't have just like anything extraneous. It's like everything has to put pressure in the player. Like. Basically, in my opinion, the best designed combat encounters are like elaborately designed death traps Um, where um, it's like so for that fight, for example, that you're talking about. So we have like grenadiers on these railings around you. Mm -hmm. uh, And one of the great things about the grenadiers is that they greatly affect with your they, they greatly impact your positioning because if you get hit by one of those grenades you get kicked um so it it forces you to be really conscious of oh where are those grenades going to be and uh and so it's like in that arena we basically have them we basically have a bunch of um pressure enemies 
positioned on this upper railing area uh, in order to try and kind of force you, not force, but, you know, encourage you <laughs> so you don't die to go into the gutters. But when you go into the gutters, you've got the grenadiers now raining down on you where you have significantly less room to avoid them. Uh, and again, you have to be significantly more conscious of your positioning. So a lot of that fight is one taking out the grenadiers so that whilst you're stuck in the gutters, oh dear, <laughs> oh dear, uh, when you're stuck in the gutters, you, you don't have them raining down on you. And uh, yeah, ba basically what we want you to do in Viscerofest is we want you to think about every action you take. We want every decision you make to effectively have some impact on the fight, whether it's a good or a uh, decision or a bad decision. Basically, uh, and this has been said to death, but I think maybe it's more so true of Viscerofest and other similar games is that it's like a fast-paced game of speed chess uh, where, like, you got to use the right weapon on the right thing at the right time, and you got to... You basically need to be able to walk into a room, size up what the hell is going on, and uh, figure out the most efficient path to uh, break through it. And uh, for me, that's th that was a lot of, like, kind of the core design we were shooting for was to make like a really fast paced strategy game in essence. Um, it's, it's why ammo is so limited. It's why um, <clears throat> it, it's, it's why I would say on the whole uh, we punish poor decision-making much more so than similar games uh, in some opi people's opinions, maybe more so than we should. But, I mean, uh, like, even on the easiest difficulty <laughs> setting, like, ammo is still like, holy shit, man. <laughs> I, I mean, gotta... it's, it's funny, actually. Uh, I didn't know how hard the game was. Um, I had only really figured out that the game was going to be as hard as people. Because, like, my original plan is, oh, I'll start out pretty easy, and then I'll kind of work up to, right. like, Blood's level of difficulty by the end of the game. And the people were telling me, oh, this is already harder than Blood. And I was like, what? <laughs> It's it's like I mean it, I, I could go ad nauseum on this, but it's 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 like uh, well, who play tested the game? Oh, <laughs> like me. Oh, yeah. but you if a you made the game and b like you're an expert first person shooter player and like the easy difficulty is supposed to be for people who yeah I, I like how Bioshock did it where it's like you know the, the difficulty setters are literally like you know I'm new to shooters, <laughs> I've played a lot of shooters. I'm really good at shooters. Like, yeah. you know, you know what I mean? Like it spells it out really easily for them. And like, I think people forget that because they kind of assume that the only people who are going to play my game are people who are interested in this sort of game. In your case, especially it's like, you've, you've kind of transcended the boomer junior uh, boomer shooter thing or whatever the fuck you want to call it. You <laughs> know, like the retro uh, first person shooter zeitgeist genre, whatever the fuck we want to go with here. Mm -hmm. You've, successfully marketed yourself to where people who ordinarily wouldn't be part of that are like, Hey, I like, I resonate with this character. I want to play this game. I want to try this out. I want to try something new. And mm -hmm. that's good. That's like one one marketing. You, you kicked ass. Like, <laughs> good. Um, yeah, no, uh, well, and we, we do something similar with our difficulty settings, mm -hmm. uh, to where, you know, it's like, you'll kind of have a descriptor next to it. Uh, and it's actually, 
it's actually one of the reasons why I think the difficulty set are like medium, hard, brutal, extreme, and then nightmare now. Because I think it used to be easy, medium, hard, brutal, and then nightmare. Uh, <laughs> but uh, people came back to us and they were like, this is really hard. <laughs> but like we kind of almost to an obnoxious extent now we have like tons of warnings before you play the game when you're in the difficulty settings menu. It's like, hey, when you hover the, over the difficulties, here's like a vague description of what the difficulty's going to be like. And when you click on the difficulty, there's a warning to let you to give you like a very specific description of what changes and what uh, how hard it's going to be. Um, and I think even, I think the description for like the easiest difficulty is like, it's still hard, but it's not as hard as everything else. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, I think the best way I can put it is, uh, I would say a lot of other similar games, uh, have similar things to Viscera Fest, mechanically speaking, but a lot of those games don't force you to the same extent to take advantage of the abilities you're given. You have a lot more freedom in terms of like, oh, I can kind of just use the dash whenever I feel like it or whatever, uh, outside of maybe Ultra Kill, because um, I hate Gabriel. But <laughs> no, um, but uh, yeah, no, like you're effectively really forced to take advantage to the best of your ability, the, the tools that you have on hand and you're incredibly powerful when you do, but I think a lot of people just aren't used to having to take advantage of those things to the extent that we ask of them. And as a result, uh, the game is very difficult for a lot of people because it's like, Hey, yeah, there's bunny hopping, but like most people don't bunny hop, like especially not in quake, but like even in dusk, there's a lot of people who, who don't bunny hop. Uh, and bunny hopping and dusk breaks the game. Um, but it's uh, a lot of people just aren't used to doing that stuff. And so it's like when this stuff becomes basically mandatory to survive, it's like, oh, uh, you know, and then, and then that, that's kind of coupled with the fact I say that the game's pretty punishing. If uh, the, you can't, we don't have, you, you can't save scum. Uh, something that makes everybody so happy uh, and I hear about it on a daily basis <laughs> um, but uh, effectively a lot of the reason why we have the save system that we do is because I, I personally internally uh, we're not big fans of quick saving systems because uh, in our opinion if you the player are going to fail to do something then you should be punished because like if there's no punishment for failure then why does failure exist basically i would say is our philosophy it's like if i if i fail to do something that the game wants me to do and uh the game effectively gives me no recourse for my actions then that fail state might as well not be there at all like proteus has this issue i'd say where it's like hey you, you have this checkpoint and you go back to it as checkpoint, but everything you've done is already done. So it's like, really, you're not dying. You're just kind of, you know, being thrown back a few steps. And quick saving kind of has that same issue where it's like, oh, I can just keep hitting F6 over and over and over again. And uh, I can completely basically cheese my way through this experience. And with how much we want to hammer in 
the uh, players like learn the mechanics uh, and get better at the game, having a system that would effectively allow them to bypass all that by constantly save scumming uh, would not be ideal, uh, and, and, which is why we have the limited save system. Um, obviously, it doesn't make everybody happy, but it's not really meant to make people happy. It's just there to let people save their progress and to also act as a means to Soften the blow of dying so you don't have to pistol start every level or something. Yeah. But. It's one of those very contentious things that just kind of like occurs over and over again where it's like, okay, what's the solution to your saving? Uh, you know, is it, do you take the Mario method where it's like you get three lives and fuck you if you, you know, or do you, <laughs> do you, uh, take a, like a, a almost Dark Souls approach and just like really make it, something you have to work for like saving is a thing is a mechanic in the game that you actually have to earn the ability to do um and, and it could go a lot of different ways uh i think elderborn hit the nail on the head like they almost copied the dark Souls system but made it work for like a, a first person sort of like action-based game that's a little less uh punishing i would say just in general mm-hmm. but then then the traditional like if you go back and play dark souls one or something like that but i don't know it's there's so many different ways to tackle that problem. Yours is fine. It works for me. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm the shittiest FPS player probably <laughs> in the whole world, and I, I pulled it off. You know, yeah. I'm doing okay. We, we kind of try to treat the placement of them like checkpoints so that it doesn't get irritating. Yeah. Um, I'd say maybe the reason why some people do feel irritated is because they don't realize they're placed like that with that in mind, so they kind of hoard them. Um, but uh, the... Um, yeah, the uh by the way, while we're on saving, <laughs> let's uh I'd say this is probably another thing relevant to development within the last year, maybe. Uh is we've added uh is saving. Uh for those of you who d- you who don't know who aren't familiar with game development, saving is hell and uh it is probably one of the most terrifying and evil things any game developer could work on. Because uh, if you want bugs, oh boy, there you go. There's like a free bug generator is make a safe system. Because, <laughs> oh my gosh. Because basically the way saving works in games is that um, as a developer, we have to tell individually the game what has to be remembered every time the game saves, right? So we have to you know catalog... How much ammo does a player have for this weapon, or this weapon, or this weapon, or this weapon? What is the player's exact coordinates in the situation? What are the all of the enemies' exact coordinates in the situation? What are the enemies doing when you save? What, uh, you know, like what doors are open? What doors are closed? What buttons has the player pressed? What buttons has the player not pressed? Is there a scripted sequence? Well, guess what? You're in for an extra layer of hell because you we have to remember exactly where in the sequence you were and all the timers and all of this stuff that's specifically set up to work like this. And if and, and just oh my god, like ninety percent of probably the bugs we've had with Viscera Fest have all been related to saving. And my favorite one, which just came back recently that we had to deal with, is that. If your operating system is not using uh, English as its base language, then there are characters within the scripting that are used, like when you save like coordinates and stuff, mm-hmm. that aren't remembered. So it's like 
the uh, what are what we would usually use is like decimal points for stuff like coordinates and whatnot. None of that's remembered, so that number basically just turns into like one overbloated value of like five hundred point seven thousand eighty nine or so, you know just like something massively stupid, and all of the doors will like fly to the, the their different like alien coordinates because of that. It's just oh my god, uh, I don't think. Uh, it's just everything is pain. <laughs> Saving is pain. Uh, I I mean, like I even I remember I asked David Samansky, like, "Hey, was uh, was working on the save system for Dusk Hell?" And he was like, "Yes," um, which is probably the reason why most games nowadays use like a checkpoint system, just because it's like the amount of data you have to remember when there are specific points uh, where the player that are like saved is significantly less because it's like, Oh, I can just assume the player has like done this by now. And as a result, I don't even really need to save that. I can just like kind of put the thing in and make sure that when the player gets back to the save, all this stuff is already done or whatever. Um, and as a result, things are significantly less likely to break. Uh, whereas for us, because there are so many variables and what the player can be doing and where they can save and whatnot, we have to remember everything, and everything <laughs> hates that. Uh, which is also one of the reasons why if you go into the option settings and change the difficulty, you basically have to reset the level, because uh, with stuff that changes between each difficulty setting, and just it's it, it all hurts. <laughs> Making games is hard. <laughs> now imagine doing that for like an RTS game, you know, where like mm. an enemy is like, you know, their ship is sailing towards you and like, Oh, but then you re reload and it's like, Oh, wow. They're not here anymore. Fucked them up. I can't even remember. <laughs> do, do RTS games use quick save systems? It's been so long since I played like rise of nations. Shit. Uh, what, the one that I've been like on a kick with recently is like Frozenheim, which is a hyper strange game. And I love it. It's, it's still in early access kind of, you know, there's a lot of jank to it. That's okay. I accept that. But yeah, there's a lot of those moments where it's like you, you push the, you know, I'm saving the current state I'm in kind of situations. Or like, All right, I saved it. Now my civilization, same thing. No problems. Mm, but but enemies, whatever was going on with the enemies, that's up in the air. Are, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Oh my gosh. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, we've kind of gone on a tangent. Uh, I don't know. It's okay. Maybe there's something else you want to focus on. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> All right. Yeah, so, uh... So this has been an unfocused mishmash of rants. So, uh... Maybe to kind of get more back on focus. Uh... So basically, uh... Following the, um... The release in the early access, uh... We... I kind of did a reevaluation of our situation because by this point, I was working full time on the game, and so was Elijah. Uh, I no longer had to work my day job, but uh, scheduling for our milestones and stuff was super tight. Um, and as a result, uh, we were kind of bouncing all over the place, uh, just constantly like in a panic to get things done with how tight everything was. And I kind of got, I got back to our publisher and I was like, Hey, look, uh, 
I had basically, I, when we were making the milestones, I actually let them know. I was like, I don't know that we're going to be able to keep up with this because I don't know how long any of this stuff is going to take, but this seems a little bit tight to me. Um, and I kind of came back uh, after all the time. I was like, yeah, look, we're, we're not going to be able to to uh, keep up with these milestones. And um, I, I want to give all the credit to 1C because they are, they, they have, uh, the amount of support they've given us and how supportive they've been and how much of a nut dickish publisher they've been has been wonderful. Uh, and they were basically like, yeah, I mean, we understand. Uh, let's, let's reevaluate the scheduling. You kind of give us what you think works. We'll go over it and we'll talk about it. Uh, and, uh, we'll go from there. So yeah, so we completely redid our milestone schedule. Um, shifted things around a fair bit and um yeah so now we're we're working on a much better schedule a significantly less tighter one uh and uh we have a much more freeing pace we can move at uh which has been you know another thing that's been incredibly relieving um i'd say i'm trying to think of any other major developments that have happened because it's just like everything that's happened since we released into early access of has been such a blur. Um, our, our communities just, uh, I think we're at like 3,500 people now, maybe going on 4,000. Um, I just recently hit 6,000 followers on Twitter and that was crazy. Uh, it's, <clears throat> it's, it's been incredibly strange uh, being in this position. And I don't think, I don't think it will ever fully settle in uh, kind of the extent to which we've grown. Cause uh, I think I'm, I, I definitely talked about this last time, but I started working on this game when I was 12 years old and uh, I'm 21 now. <laughs> uh, so it's been a little while. And, How was that uh, first beer? Huh? How was your first beer? Oh, I, I don't drink. I, I've never oh. drunk in. I, I've taken like a sip, but I, I, I don't, I don't like beer. I have no desire to drink, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm 21 now, so it's been nine years going on, um, and oh my gosh, like it's uh, it's it's very strange to have like come all this way, having done all this, and to actually finally be in this position where, where it's like I have like people genuinely following me who care about what I'm doing, and to have a nice little community uh, that we've sort of built up over the course of time. Things have calmed down within our community. Thank freaking God. Guess I don't know that I would have been able to handle the discord if it was that crazy as it was when we were initially released the demo. Cause again, like we had easily like a hundred, maybe a hundred people pouring in a day, <laughs> which, Oh, that was pain. Um, but, um, yeah, no, i just trucking along with Chapter 2 stuff now, like I said. Um, we've, uh, since, I think in the wake of what happened with Wrath, 1C has been wanting to maybe touch bases with uh, kind of everyone that they're, that's working under them a bit more. So we started some bi-weekly meetings, uh, just kind of keeping them updated so that way... Uh, they're a bit more in the loop of what's actually going on because 
throughout everything, they've been incredibly hands off with us. Like, I, I think it's kind of shocked me how hands off they've been. Cause it's like, I mentioned uh, during our interview with them, they were basically like, yeah, we want to publish Visceral Fest. We didn't, we didn't tell them anything. <laughs> like they knew, they kind of knew nothing about Visceral Fest going into it other than what was in the trailer or what they played in the demo, which I'm going to say right now is not at all representative of where Visceral Fest is going to end up by the end of the game. Um, so uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would say they had, they had a very skewed perspective on what the game was and what it was meant to be. And uh, as a result, uh, it's again, it's just kind of shocked me because it's like I'm used to hearing like so many horror stories about like developers working with publishers. uh, And there's always like, oh, the publisher wants them to change this or that. Whereas it's like, I feel like we could we can kind of do whatever we want at this point uh, under 1C, um, which is like incredibly relieving because I would say like, obviously one of the bigger fears I had going into working with a publisher was, you know, how much creative freedom are we actually going to have? Are they going to try to change things and whatnot? And it was actually one of the reasons why I wasn't potentially interested in like pursuing, uh, working with new blood. Um, cause it's like, I feel like new blood as a company, nothing against them, but, uh, they, they tend to be very collaborative in their projects to the point where it, it's like very clear, like everybody who's working on it is like rubbing off on the project to an extent where it's like, I don't know how much of uh, that was like, say what David Zemanski or Hakata intended. Um, and to an extent that's good because like when you have more eyes and more creative fingers on a game, uh, you're much more likely to catch problems, uh, whether it be in design or uh, in, you know, bugs <laughs> or whatever it happens to be. But I, I guess my fear, again, my fear with working on that is, is it's like at some point, like the vi- the vision for what I wanted to do would end up shifting around because it it's not Vi- Fest is not an, a very accessible game in terms of uh, both its difficulty. And I would say in very, it's like some of the stuff we do narratively is uh, a bit weird. Um, (laughs) And uh, I I think my fear going into working with anybody would be they'd look at that and go, oh, that doesn't, uh, that's not quite as marketable as uh, what Viscera Fest looks like from the outset, uh, sort of what we've been presenting so far. Um, Let's maybe change that up a bit. Yeah, very different. Um, um, just brands in general, like New Blood's whole brand sort of relies on like this is a New Blood game. Like you know mm-hmm. what you're going to get from it. Even you know even yeah. games that are so it's different as you know like Ultra Kill and Faith, you know, or something like that. Yeah, and, um, and I think that that was one of my big fears was it's like I don't want it to become like a New Blood game or a Devolver Digital game or, or right. something like that. Where where even uh, Devolver is pretty. I mean, there's a, there is the, you know, this is a Devolver digital game, but there's also like, you know, they, they publish so many indies that it's just like that you have a very wide array yes. of what they turn out. But in, in a case like, I mean, just like look through one C's catalog and recently mm-hmm. they've kind of caught on to this sort of like retro shooter wave or they picked up, they're working with 
uh, 3D Realms on Wrath and Graven, and then they have you. And mm-hmm. but prior to that, even you go all the way back to like 2007, I want to say, with their catalog, and it's just like you know, here's a bunch of very different kind of stuff with some some very strong leaning towards like the you know like King's Bounty or uh, Ancestors Legacy, like that that sort of theme, you know, with mm-hmm. the medieval battle grounds whatever the fuck but a lot ultimately, of strategy stuff yeah a uh, a lot of respect to the developer to like make whatever kind of fucking game you want and we're just going to finance it and mm-hmm. you know help you market it like that makes yeah. sense and i'm not saying like that was something devolver does i'm just saying mm-hmm. like that would be like one of my fears with going into a publisher was like that effectively this would become more known as like the publisher's game as opposed to my game. Um, you know, uh, I mean, obviously we're always open to feedback and uh, thoughts from other people, but uh, my fear would be that, again, through the course of working with someone like that, you'll potentially run the risk of, like, whatever your intentions or desires for the game are, they just get lost in translation because, you know, not everybody's going to like or agree with what you're doing. Um, And if those are the people who you have over you, then uh, that becomes a problem. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, like working with 1C has been pretty pain-free for the most part. Probably the most painful thing we had to go through was bank crap, uh, (laughs) which wasn't even 1C's fault. Uh, Yeah, that was pain. Uh, but um yeah no uh i really can't complain about the position i'm in i've been incredibly blessed throughout development uh it's i i could have never dreamed of being in the position i am today and being able and like having the the following we do and uh, i imagine it's probably only going to grow especially as we move out of early access and more stuff gets done. Um, it's, it, it's both scary and exciting. Uh, especially because now that we're actually getting, getting into the stuff that I would say like is viscera fest, uh, in regards to chapters two and three. Um, it's like this stuff that has been in my head for so long is finally going to be something that other people can see and uh, it, it's 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 kind of scary because <laughs> because uh, I don't know how people are going to take it. Um, I I'd imagine they're going to take it pretty well because they took what we did at the end of uh, chapter one pretty well <laughs> with um, with that uh, with C1L6 Wayward Watchers. Um, but uh, we might want to come back around to that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not sure. How much more I can say without tapping into spoilers? Um, it's up to you, but I mean, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to like encourage you to put yourself in a bad position. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I think. I think the best way I can put it is Viscera Fest on the whole. Uh, I would say presents itself from the outset as being a very, very build engine like game, uh, where it's like, oh, here's your goofy one-liner spitting protagonist and it's like the 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 intro to the game is intentionally like almost a misdirect in terms of the tone um 
And it's like as the game progresses, it slowly kind of descends uh, into a, a, a much more serious and dark tone as it progresses. Like even within Carolyn, with what we're doing, it's like as she realizes more of what's going on, it's like her attitude starts to change. I think there's a point in the game where we cut out the one-liners entirely, uh, which, I, I, again, I don't know how people are going to take that, but it's like the intent is like, it's like like you hit a point where Carolyn kind of goes, like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> like, it's time to get serious. Yeah. Um, and I, and in, in, or, in, tor- in order to tonally match that shift, we kind of wanted like, uh, uh, there to be a distinct contrast, with, but like a, a clear before and after point. Um, and I'm, and the level we're working on right now is kind of where that shift, I would say really starts to take place. Like it, like in chapter two, the, the sort of impact of like wayward watchers and stuff is still kind of lingering. Mm-hmm. Um, that like almost intentionally jarring tonal shift, uh, is still kind of has like its remnants on the game and it's starting to like creep in more and more. Like I said, as we introduce like stuff like deep ones and the cults that are going on on earth or that are present on earth. Um, and you get a much greater sense cause it's like, Oh, they're starting to meddle in with what the USC is doing. And, uh, it, it becomes very clear. I would say. Uh, I mean, there's a, a somewhat generic line in chapter one where Dr. Marquis basically talks about how it's like, you have no idea what's going on here. Uh, and I, and, um, and I'd say chapter two, uh, very early on pretty quickly establishes just the, how much more you don't know, <laughs> um, which is fun. Uh, cause that, that much more, uh, both mechanically and in terms of the narrative, uh, is it, it, it's both intriguing and uh, and it, 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 I'd say it brings a lot of the flavor into Visser Fest that I feel would be missing if it were just like a generic build engine game, or I mean it's not a build engine game, but like that kind of game where it's like hey, it's just you know a fast paced goofy running gun shooter with. Uh, protagonist who wants to uh, propose to her boyfriend <laughs> well, um, um, there's there's a thing with you that I've mm-hmm. like I noticed from the very first time I ever spoke to you is like you have this extremely um, vast idea of what your game would be right mm-hmm. and like it, there's so many ideas going on there's so like it's 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 too fucking much like most <laughs> Sensible publishers would be like, narrow it the fuck down, kid. Like, you know, I see. I almost feel I, I, I should have narrowed it down, is what I should have done, just because, like, yeah, because I mean, like, and we talked about this last time, but like, like I said, the game's been in development since 2012, and a lot has changed since then. But a lot of like why Viscera Fest has taken as long as it has is because there is just so much to it that for a first project. It's a terrible first project. <laughs> it, it is not the kind of game you want to start out making because as I tell so many people who ask me, like I'm getting into game development, what should I do? I always say, start small. Don't do what I did. Uh, Cause you're going to be at this for years and years and years, and you're not going to have anything to show for it until like 20 years down the road <laughs> when like your game finally comes out. Um, but what's beautiful about you in general and, and also about this project is 
is that you are so committed to it. You're so invested in not just the game itself, but also like the character. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things, and you can just shut me the fuck up if this is too far, but like the way you reacted to the key art of Carolyn (laughs) in the realms deep discord was like a very clear example of this. And and everybody kind of universal was like, "Ah, you know, it's, it's his fucking property. Like I'm not mad at him, but (laughs) Like, I mean, to me, and to me, it was just like, oh yeah, she looks great. Fuck yeah, it looks. You know, I told B- Bebito is the guy who did the key art for um for Realm's Deep, and he was amazing. But yeah, I I get where you're coming from. Like, this is like I you feel so strongly about the way that this character is portrayed. Like, she has to be exactly like the right mix of like, okay, she's kind of fucked up, but she's also kind of beautiful, and it's like <laughs> y- you can't mess around with the recipe. You know, like you can't yeah. go to into a, a restaurant and just start messing with the secret sauce. Like, yeah. Well, in specifically in that instance, kind of what happened I felt was that, uh, Carolyn is a very difficult character to draw. Like, like shockingly. So I would almost say like on the surface, it, it feels simple, but when you actually go in, it's like trying to find the right balance of features, mm-hmm. uh, and everything is a pain. Um, and a lot of, I think, I think the problem is that like there's a misunderstanding of like what the creative intentions of the design are to some extent. Um, because it's like the, 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 the overall kind of idea for how she looks is that she's meant to strike a nice balance between occupying the uncanny Valley and being creepy and weird, but like also being like just human and feminine enough that it's like there's still like somewhat of um, this uh, visual, th- th- this level of visual appeal, appeal. She's not like hideously ugly. And I'd say like one of the issues I see a lot of like artists who like to, and I love fan art and stuff. Like I'm not knocking them, especially because like, you know, like the, 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 the art people do is amazing. Uh, but like, you know, it comes down to, for me, it's like when I am having something that I am presenting as being representative of what my game is, I want that thing to, you know, match what my creative intentions for the game are. Mm-hmm. And the issue I was having with the key art that was done for Realms Deep, as amazing as that artist guy is, is I felt like um, it was leaning way too heavily on sort of like the more haggish, uh, uncanny valley elements than it was on the more humanistic elements. And even then, I wasn't super happy with how it came out because we were really crunching on time. Like when we redid that art, it was like the day before, uh, like basically we had a day to fix it, uh, was what Fred gave us. Um, and uh, let me tell you, do you thought, if I've showed some, I've, I've showed like some before and afters of the key art internally. And it's like, if you thought that was bad, you should have seen some of the ones he came back to me with. <laughs> Cause like when we were doing the editing, it, it kind of got worse and worse. And I was like, Oh no, we're not going to be able to fix this in time. Yeah. I mean, that, um, that's anytime you're on a, yeah. a real deadline. It's like, we have to go live at seven o'clock mm-hmm. on this day. And I mean, it will, I'll probably end up doing like a postmortem sort of podcast on it with Jahar at some point, but fuck man, you know, and I felt for, I felt for every single developer involved. I was like, cause I'm put, I'm telling them straight up, like 
we are going live with this. And if you send me the wrong fucking thing or, you know, and, uh, and mistakes will be made. Yeah. Like that's, what's going to be shown. And, and it's so difficult to like put someone in that position. I mean, there's a point where I was like, I was ready to fucking cry. Like my wife and, and Alex Pixie <laughs> and like the guys were like, <laughs> you know, like, cause I'm really not okay with giving people bad news. It's like not my favorite thing. I'm okay. I can do it, but I just want to like, make everyone happy. Like I care about every single person that I'm in contact with that I make, you know, if I'm reaching out to you and making promises to you, I intend to keep them. And if I can't, you know, do it, it's, it's a difficult position to be in. And like, but yeah, but with the, with the key art in particular, it's like, first of all, all we ever see of Carolyn, you know, you know, can't canonically is like this sort of like visual novel esque artwork that you guys do for the game. And then this is like portraying. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're portraying her in this like, you know, almost like, you know, what like 3D, not quite 3D, but you know what I'm saying? Like lit sort of area. And it's like, you know, and and amongst other characters that are drawn differently than they are. Ultimately, I think it's a win. You know, like you're, you got your character standing next to like Turok guy and Postal dude. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I would, I would probably just be like, you know what? Fuck it. Do whatever you want. But I get it. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, geez, I'm thinking, I think one of the big issues is that, uh, with Carolyn's design being kind of as weird as it is, not only is it like difficult to draw in general, but it's difficult to translate into different art styles because various things have to account. You, You have to change various elements to account for, uh, the shifts in art style while still keeping the original creative intentions in mind. And I think that was one of the biggest things that, that was kind of a struggle with redoing that art was it's like, what, what is the balance of features? What, um, what, what are we going to do? Cause we basically have to to completely redesign her to fit within this art style. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean like, and going back to like time crunching stuff, uh, I mean, and, and obviously I've mentioned that we in particular have uh, had to do some running to the finish line at times, but uh, I think cr- crunch in general in, in the industry, rightfully so, has a very, very negative perception, uh, mostly because, and I think I, I'd say... The, the biggest issue when it comes to crunch is always, like, I would say, like, forced crunch, where it's, like, a lot of AAA studios suffer, suffer from the fact that uh, there's almost always, like, some abuse and poor management at the higher level that effectively um, very harshly impacts the game's development and turns it into a waking nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, with But, like, to an extent any kind of software development is always going to have sort of that vibe to it where it's like, there's always going to be some rushing to the finish line and there's always going to be some level of crunch. Like I find it genuinely hard to believe uh, when a developer will come out and go, Oh, like we don't crunch on our game. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like I find, I find that hard to buy because it's like one of the issues with software development is you have no idea what's going to happen. Like something you think could be easy could be a waking nightmare and something you think could be a waking nightmare might be very, very easy. Um, 
And the problem is it's like almost impossible to plan around that crap. Like it is, unless you like give yourself the most vastly generous schedule in the world, uh, especially if you're working under a publisher, you're not going to have the freedom to do that. Uh, and as a result, it's just like, at some point the hammer's going to have to come down and you're going to have to work your butt off. Um, there's a huge difference between like when someone tells you, you have to pull yes. a 16 hour day. And when you decide I want to pull a 16 hour day because I want to get this done mm-hmm. to totally different psychological processes going on, you know? Yes. I, I get well, like, that. Like, it, yeah, it is. Yeah. Game development is hard. And a lot of that difficulty comes from the fact that, again, there are so many variables present in the act of developing a game that effectively will dictate when and how something gets done. Uh, and the problem is that, you know, as human beings, we want everything to be done on our time. And uh, software doesn't like to work like that. <laughs> um, it's. I feel like personally for me, kind of the perspective I have about crunch is that um, it's fine in moderation uh, because it, it kind of has to be done. It is a necessary evil really as much as, as much as I would prefer it not have to happen. And there is an extent where it's like, it's almost impossible to avoid um, because again, things will take longer than you want it to. Some things will happen much faster than you want them to. And with that being impossible to plan around, it often, like, we ha- we've had an update that we were supposed to push three weeks ago, nah. and it's not come out yet, <laughs> because keep things keep going wrong. Because um, we're keep doing all these interviews, man. You should know. Right no, we've been working on controller support, uh, and oh, 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 that's been pain. Um, <laughs> but things keep breaking. And, uh, and it's like, you know, I, your options are release to finish on buggy mess or delay it. <laughs> um, and, and work like hell to make sure that it comes out as soon as possible. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, but like, I'd say, you know, crunch as a necessity is always better than like kind of what you said, like forced crunch where it's like, I, the thing I hate is like in a lot of, under a lot of, and this is another fear I had, is under a lot of publishers, you run into uh, just this kind of like, they cultivate this atmosphere of like, you know, you don't have to do the extra hours. You don't have to crunch. But, uh, you know, we're basically going to indirectly threaten you with your job if you, do, if you don't right. do it. Um, and, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, there's definitely been a fair amount of, uh, Long nights, let's call them, uh, working on Mr. Fest. I remember the demo, when we, when we released the demo, actually, uh, I probably, right the, the day before we released it, I think we were working from 9 at no, nine p.m. at night to like 5 or 6 a.m. in the morning. Uh, and then we took, and then like, we went to bed for like three to four hours, came back, and we worked until we released it. <laughs> <laughs> which was later that day. Um, yep. Just because it's like, because again, like with that demo, things kept going wrong. Like we were, we had planned it to release it like a two or three months prior to having actually released it. 
because uh, like it just it was things kept breaking, things kept going wrong, things kept taking longer than we expected them to. Um, but yeah, uh, I love going on rants where I have like no endpoint to make. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're the most wonderful. <laughs> Ultimately, it's it's I I get what you're getting at here, yeah. and it's like. Look, shit goes wrong. It's yeah. that's part of it, and in the keep has very much stepped into the realm of like dealing with. Okay, let's make games now, mm-hmm. and when when the grits hit the pan, all right. Well, we just got to make a decision, and my decision thus far has always been like, I would still rather us wait and do the right thing than to disappoint people with a, an inferior product which is is it is to me it's a very simple decision because it's like you watch every triple a developer make the same mistake over and over again where and it's not it's it's hard to even blame it on any body there because it's they're part of an organism that is functioning you know as if they are a cell that can be dismissed at any point mm-hmm. and you you start to see these situations where every single fucking game that gets released is incomplete when it comes out because they're like, well, we got to deliver on time because that's what the investors want. Mm-hmm. And then you get crap. And then and the, the status quo now is wait six months before you play any game that you bought. Yeah. And that's <laughs> horrific. I'd rather Jesus like never tell me if never promise me a date at all and then deliver me a product when you can. And I'll be like, oh, man, this is perfect right out of the box. And I get to play them because then I don't have to go through the whole process. It's like it's like getting uh, – got got to be smart. We're monetized on YouTube now. Hold on. <laughs> come up with a not disgusting metaphor. It, it's, like, it's like when you're on a date, you know, a very consensual and polite date with a lady. And you're like, hello, ma'am. Would you like to make love? Maybe next week. You know, don't even put it on the table until you're ready. Is <laughs> what some people would say. It's like, because yeah. <laughs> that's a horrible metaphor. <laughs> God help me. Um, oh dear. I guess the the next thing, because we're like an hour and a half in now, and I feel like mm-hmm. I've given you enough time to rant and rave about development. Uh, I want to get into some of the more human parts of the game. Mm-hmm. One of the things you said earlier was. And actually, funny, I just said human parts of the game because it's the exact opposite. It's talking about the uh, the Lovecraft elements and and especially the you know the deep ones and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And you talked about how you you don't want this to be a world fully inhabited and dominated by humans. My pushback to that, and I think one of the best examples of this is uh, in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh uh, man. There's, there's probably like a counter, like civvy sewer counter. That's got to be like a mother load Star Trek counter. <laughs> they address this issue of like, why are humans always the forefront of everything? And obviously in Star Trek it's because they're the cheapest people to make because you don't have to put makeup on them. Okay. We get that. <laughs> but the, the canonical reasoning is being like, what makes us special? What makes us a, a race that would prosper at all mm-hmm. in, in a multi, um, planetary environment or um, you know whatever and what they came down to is that human beings are uniquely tenacious like we are regardless of whether or not you know like vulcans are logical like that's their thing you know they're really efficient and logical and they always make their 
most pragmatic choice. Or um, Klingons are always going to win with dominance. They're going to win with violence. They're going to, you know, that's their thing. Okay. That's what makes them strong. What makes humans strong is that we will plug away when the odds are against us <laughs> for no fucking apparent reason. Like there's no logical or like, even if you do the odds of like, how would it come out if we just fought with brute force? We'll never get there. It's like a mental brute force. And ultimately that is why we end up in the Star Trek universe, at least being sort of the, you know, not necessarily the ultimate like leaders of the universe. Cause obviously they cooperate and integrate with the other planetary races, but they end up in the situation where they're like, okay, well there's an overwhelming amount of humans still here in the, in the center of the whole, um, unified planet interplanetary government ends up being on earth because they're like, these motherfuckers get shit done. That's what they do. Um, so when, when you're talking about that philosophy in your game of like, I don't think humans should be the most dominant species. I'm not trying to push back against it. Like, it's, yeah. I think that's a super interesting thing and a very Lovecraftian thing is like, we're small, we're insignificant. Yes. Um, but I do want to know where that comes from. Like, why, how did you arrive at that um, logic? Um. <clears throat> How did I come to that? Uh, oh boy, that's uh, <laughs> one of the big issues with tackling uh, the development of like Viscera Fest story is that it's like I can't like go, oh, I took inspiration from this, or oh, I took inspiration from that, because uh, it's like almost everything is like more so of like an accumulative process. Um, where it's like, I'm sure things have like subtly and unconsciously inspired me, but there's never like, I can draw a clear line mm -hmm. to, Oh, that thing. Like this is that thing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, in terms of uh, kind of how I would, how I would say I, I arrived at that perspective. Um, I'd say, yeah, it probably, probably mostly kind of comes from, sort of that Lovecraftian angle, like the, um, the, uh, a lot of kind of what HP Lovecraft, uh, in his mythos, I, I, I would say like, if I had to sum up like what the Lovecraft mythos is all about, it's all about like fear of like the unknown and what you don't understand. Um, and, uh, and like how small we all are in that. And to me, it's like, uh, the idea that it's like, oh, we're so insignificant that like we're practically just short of like ceasing to exist. It, uh, and the universe is just going to go on without us. Like that's both a scary idea, but like from like a narrative and like a sci-fi perspective, it's, it, it, I'd say it's also a very interesting, compelling one. Um, you know, it's like, how are things going to function? Like when, humanity isn't at the forefront of any everything um th there's a limited extent to which we can pursue that because one of the things with Mr. Fest is that it has a lot of lore like way too much lore and not all of it is going to be stuff that is directly addressed within the game because of how much lore there is we do have a library 
which is basically like there's going to be a chunk of the hub where you can go and like as you progress through the game, you'll unlock some new stuff there that you can read about and kind of learn deeper about deeper about the universe as a whole. But like even then, like we can't include everything because there's just so much. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that's probably kind of the main area where. Uh, is more so like taking the Lovecraftian perspective on it. And I would say, whilst we are very, very heavily entrenched and inspired by Lovecraft for some of the narrative elements uh, directly pulling from the mythos a lot of the times, and mostly just tweaking things here and there because there's not really a canon to the mythos. Um, the uh, Or I should say there's various canons to the mythos. Um, I would say... Kind of the way we treat it is like there's a layer of respect to it that we want to pay service to. Like, you know, we don't want to have a moment where you come out and you kill Cthulhu or something like that. Because, uh, like, I don't feel like that's that kind of lines up with like, it, and like Cthulhu can die within the mythos, I guess, but it doesn't really kind of match the tone and vibe that the mythos strives for. Um, but I, I would say. We want to pay respect to it, whilst also not like, um, whilst still also doing our own thing. Um, I would say like we use the mythos as more of like a canvas to paint on, rather than a set of rules to abide by. But at the same time, it's like we still want that canvas to be recognizable as as that canvas, and not, uh, I don't know, like this freaking anime where like all of the gods are like anime school girls or something stupid like that. Um, which is just the weirdest thing to me. I don't know why that's a thing, but, um, shout out yeah. to Fida Pudi Samurai. Oh no. <laughs> um, but yeah, like pretty much everything we do narratively, it's like, I would say this is more so a perspective I've developed in recent times uh but where it's like i've tried to kind of focus things more into like a single idea as opposed to being uh just completely disparate elements which is what i feel like early on a lot of the narrative was is it was just like a bunch of oh it frozen it was a bunch of different elements uh that were kind of just coinciding with one another as opposed to like coming to a to like a, a more singular direction Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like in the process of doing that, things become too chaotic, too impossible to track. Uh, and you start focusing narratively more on those individual elements. Like, oh, I, you see, like, I'd say this is like an issue with writing in more recent years where it's like narrative becomes less focused on character and more just focused on the things that are happening. Um like I would almost say to an extent, like Doom Eternal suffers from this a, a little bit, as much as I love that game, like narratively speaking, it's just like everything is happening and there's like a lore explanation for everything and you're not going to be able to track what's going on because it's like, oh, here's like the five hour long lore expose on why this is a thing and why this character is here. But it doesn't contribute to anything, but it doesn't have any value uh, within the narrative or the story. Um and uh, with Viscera Fest, uh, like I said, more recent times, uh, and in tandem with like us bringing the uh, 
so like diving more so into like Carolyn and what's going on with her. Um, just trying to like create something that's again, more focused uh, in terms of the overall direction we're going for. Uh, almost as focused as the gameplay, I would hope. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it was one of the things I got into when I was talking to the guys from white hell <clears throat> is the kind of though you two sort of share a genre, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's a first person shooter. It's retro. Okay. All right. That's about it. And I love their game and I love your game both in very different ways, but the, the key difference being like that. Yeah. They do have a protagonist. Like it's Yarmo. Mm-hmm. If you didn't read the, you know, Steam page or whatever. You probably wouldn't even know the guy's name is Yarmo. I didn't know he had a name. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't speak. He just like kicks ass and he drinks beer and we get that. And he shoots people because that are bad because they're fascists and fuck them. That, <laughs> to put it exactly almost in, in Miko's words. Yeah. Like, uh, that, that's it. And, and the fundamental difference is like your game really, really hinges on, okay, Caroline is a person. You are inhabiting the skin of this character as opposed to like a Gordon Freeman sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a totally different vibe and seeing the two kind of do their own thing in, in, in tandem is interesting to me because I get to witness like the marketing part of it. And in your case, I think people, who are, as I said, I think I said this like an hour ago or whatever, but like who are <laughs> so not interested whatsoever in, in playing a boomer shooter will attach themselves to the artwork and the, and the style and the character that you've created and go all in with it. Some similar thing with stellar Valkyrie. What we're doing is like, not that we intend in any way to lack on gameplay, but it's just like, yeah, the selling point of this game is that we want you to be attached to Falco. He, he is a character who's, supposed to be why you're here like you are to inhabit the skin of falco crimson and or in your case carolyn yeah um, well did and, you and intend for the, that yes uh yeah kind of the perspective i would say i have um when it comes to like characters and games is just like i want to say like three or four different like kinds of characters that can be in games uh you have like and there are stronger and weak, and within those like three or four variants, like stronger and weaker, uh, or more or less compelling uh, ways to do it. Um, one of the most common ones I would say is like you have like the silent protagonist who uh, they're technically meant to be a pre-established character, and who you are just inhabiting the body of, but there is nothing about them that is conveyed to the player that is interesting or compelling because they are a silent protagonist. And unfortunately that often means that they have no way of expressing themselves. Uh, kind of the value of, or what I view as being the value of a, of a silent protagonist is that it's a great way for the player to become the character in essence, right? Like you have half-life one. One of the great things about half-life one is that because of the systems they built into that game, um, you effectively are Gordon Freeman because you, as a player character, get to make decisions that inform who Gordon Freeman is. You know, like 
and those gameplay decisions also loop back into, or those nar- or those like light narrative decisions kind of loop back into the gameplay because it's like, hey, there are scientists running around, there are security guards running around, or whatever. You can choose to help them, you can choose to kill them, you can, um, or you can leave them be and let them die. Um, and those are all like very light decisions that kind of inform a bit of who care of, of who Gordon Freeman's character is. Is mm-hmm. he a raging psychopath? <laughs> is he, you know, is he? Um, oh dear, is he? Uh, you know, is he a raging psychopath? Is he just like this? Um, is he like compassionate or like you know, whatever it happens to be? Like those moment-to-moment gameplay decisions you can make have like you know, slight uh, tangible benefits for you because, you know, you kill scientists, you can get a little healing vial. Maybe the scientist will heal you if you save him or he'll lead you to, like, a stash of resources you can get access to or whatever. Um, but in that way, the silent protagonist works because there are gameplay decisions that have narrative ties the player can make that effectively inform who the character that the player is playing as is. On the flip side of that, you have, like, what are supposed to be predefined characters, but who are silent, that um, really effectively have no character at all. They're, like, there is no, no, the game makes no effort to characterize who you are playing as. And from a gameplay perspective, there's nothing more than, like, say, like, oh, you know, shooting enemies or whatever. Uh, and none of that really like tells you anything about who you are playing as. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, there is like uh, kind of what Doom twenty sixteen and Eternal do, uh, and they're kind of like the odd exceptions where it's like they they have a silent protagonist, but through how they convey the information through his like expressions and through how he like uses his hands, they're able to communicate just like so much through that, that it's like, yes, he is a silent protagonist. And yes, you, the player can't technically do a ton to like, uh, effectively project yourself into the game and who that character is. But whilst he is a predefined character, and even though he doesn't talk, they kind of found other ways to convey his character to you. Um, and then you have the other side of that, which is what you have voiced protagonists, uh, and, and Carolyn kind of falls squarely into that where it's like you, the player are not Carolyn. Like there is a very distinct disconnect between mm-hmm. who Carolyn is and you are, you are simply experiencing Viscera Fest through Carolyn's eyes. Uh, and as a result, a lot of the game is effectively really kind of tailored to, um, you know, to basically make you kind of experience, things through how Carolyn would like Carolyn is a very brash, like, you know, reckless character. Um, and so the combat is effectively, you know, it's very frantic. Uh, she's a very frantic, brash, like, uh, I would say almost like thrill seeking type character. Uh, and the combat is in essence kind of made to mirror that to an extent where it's like, you have to play in what would normally be a very risky way if you want to survive or, or to be good at the game and not die. Um, there's, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, so it's like you have a pre, you have a predefined character, 
who you are inhabiting and who you are simply experiencing the game through as opposed right. to, um, yeah. Otherwise, like Geralt of Rivia. Yeah. The, um, the other thing that comes to mind too, when, when talking about Carolyn's character is that, um, in a lot of ways, I would almost say like she is in the, in the same vein of like a build engine character. And I do mean that on like a deeper level than just like, Oh, she says one liners and stuff. Because yep. kind of the way I've I view uh, the build engine games protagonist, because a lot of people say that like one dimensional cardboard cutouts or whatever like stereotypes, but for me, uh, kind of the way I've always I've always viewed the build engine protagonist is like they're like a perfect reflection of the games they're in, right? Like you know, who is Duke Nukem? Duke Nukem is this like incredibly egotistical, like womanizing, violence-seeking protagonist uh, who like constantly spouts references and one-liners to everything. And you could almost exactly describe the game Duke Nukem like that, you know. And, and similarly, like with Lo Wang and with uh, Caleb from Blood, and I think. It, to a certain extent that exists on like a deeper level with Carolyn because there is more to her character that we haven't really revealed yet. Uh, but like, again, it is meant to sort of like a lot of her character and who she is, is also meant to be like a mirror reflection of the game in a way. Um, <clears throat> and uh, yeah. <laughs> there, there are these like little subtle moments where Duke Nukem shows like that he has a heart. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, most people just kind of Duke 3D. That's about it. Yeah. In Duke Nukem Time to Kill, like the whole plot of the game is that like these aliens turn his favorite strip club into a gay bar. <laughs> and he's not okay with it. <laughs> and he goes back in time to fix it. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> and like, you know, this would never get, you know, yeah. rightfully so, wouldn't get over today. But I mean, like, there is a depth and a motivation to that character, not because that's canonically who he is or anything, but because people, as you said, sort of look into it in different ways. Like they experience it in different ways and they like resonate with him for different reasons. And I think that's what makes any character like this. Like it's almost purposefully one dimensional, not because it's meant to be one dimensional, but because you can, in, you can easily like project on it in different ways. I mean, link is probably the ultimate example of this in all video games where it's like, What's what's special about Link? Well, he never fucking talks, <laughs> so you can just project yourself completely onto him and try to be in and inhabit. What would you do if you were Link? How would you respond to this question that Zelda is asking you, or whatever? Uh, that kind of goes away, you know, from Skyward Sword on. But like, you know, the vast majority of the Zelda franchise takes and plays with that. Maybe not intentionally. Maybe it's a total accident. Same thing with Doom Guy. Yeah. Same thing with Blah Blah. You know, you name it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, man. I I, <laughs> I hope whatever whatever you got cooking up in your head comes out exactly the way that you want people to interpret it. But I know yeah. that won't be the case. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's always difficult. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, no, like it's um, I would say like by far one of the most difficult things we're struggling with in terms of uh, doing the writing for Viscera Fest is like, basically, uh, forever now, we've had like the general like story of Viscera Fest plotted out. 
and <clears throat> and whilst we've had like those general beats down, the difficult thing becomes okay. How do you give the player all the relevant information without like sitting them down and constantly doing an exposition dump? Like, you know, how do you how do you convey what the player needs to know and understand, and what's okay for the player to not know and understand? Um, it, it is always like I would say the, the most difficult thing. Like basically, like it, it, it's difficult. Because especially in Viscera Fest, it's like the story can't get in the way of the game too much to the extent that it becomes obnoxious. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time, uh, and on top of that, we have to work in like fi within financial limitations and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, th th we, we have goals in terms of what we're trying to communicate and what we want players to be able to know and understand. Uh, and... You know, a lot of the difficulty we're running into now with writing is like, okay, well, uh, you know, now we've got this point where it's like, okay, how, how do we make sure the player knows what they need to know? Um, and how, how do we make sure the player understands what they need to know? Because um, now things are starting to get more complicated and, um, and uh, you know, basically we're having to answer like questions that we've kind of built up throughout the course of the game. Um, whether that be about Carolyn, whether about that be about the United Scientific Conglomerate, whether that be about Chromium, um, you know, and and it's difficult when you're the person writing this stuff because you can't view it from an outside perspective because right. it's like I know everything. Uh, I can't listen to a piece of dialogue and figure out like what assumptions a person is going to make, especially because everybody's so different and they can take something completely different away from any piece of information. Um, like actually great example, uh, ending of chapter one, there's the end cut scene where Chromium is confronted by a character that I can't talk about. <laughs> so, uh, spoiler warning, I guess. Um, but, uh, so basically there's that moment and, uh, and like internally when we showed that bit off, like, Nobody realized that was Chromium <laughs> because um, whilst like he had been talking throughout most of chapter one, uh, there hadn't been enough of a visual connection yet for people to realize, oh, this is what Chromium looks like. Um, and so we kind of had to lay some breadcrumbs in there to try and like, hey, how do we convey this character is this character? Mm -hmm. Um and uh, and we made some tweaks, and uh, it's significantly better now. Uh, I, I don't think anybody's confused with who he is not reaching that moment. But, like, you know, it's an example of where it's like, okay, well, there's a slight misjudgment in terms of, like, how do we convey what people need to know? Uh, and, and how do we convey it in a way where they don't need to, like, be sitting there, like, internalizing every single piece of dialogue? <laughs> um it's uh, it's a very interesting process, the writing <laughs> process. It's just, it's, it's, it, it, I, I, I think the best way I can put it is like we're just facing challenges right now that are uh, certainly things that we haven't <clears throat> had to, to an extent, deal with before. Um, and it, it, it's, I, I would I would say we're, we're, I'm pretty happy with how everything is coming out. Um, and internally, as like we've been talking, 
to people and showing stuff off, like people would have been like, Ooh, like <laughs> really. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's difficult <laughs> as all things tend to be. Um, one of the, one of the <clears throat> first things that you like mentioned earlier when you're saying like, you know, when I talk to new developers, my first order of business is to say like small, do something small, do something simple. Yes. Don't do what I'm doing. Um, I'm working with Call of Ragnar right now, and which is the epitome of like this game is too goddamn big. <laughs> you know, like we, we is that the uh, roguelike one? It's not a roguelike. It's a it's a. I don't know if you ever played Betrayal at Crondor or like. Oh, you know, I, oh, like, I was thinking of something completely different. I was thinking yeah. of like that very very yellow roguelike for some reason. Oh, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna feel like a jackass if I don't just like call it off the top of my head. But it's not. It's very happen. very yellow. <laughs> um, point being that Sir Ragnar is is it's like a very much like an old school like yeah. RPG adventure game. You know, and that involves like this gigantic world, you know, that exists, you know, canonically within where whatever the character happens to be playing within, you know, and that's fun. But like one of the biggest appealing things to me when I talked to Damian initially about like, okay, let's let's work on this together, was he's like, oh, I've already gotten the whole story right now. Like mm-hmm. here's it, here it is. Like I, this is the, we have a Bible that we're going to abide by, you know, yeah. we will have different changes gameplay wise or whatever here and there, but like, this is what we're abiding to because mm-hmm. this is my vision. And all I want to do, my whole task is to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not envy your position of like, just this constant, <laughs> like, I don't know, man, like people want to hear more about Carolyn. Let's make another thing. Let's write some more story to it. Like that's scary. Whoa. That is and- scary. And, and well, the thing is, uh, we have had, like I said, for the longest time, we've had like most of the stuff blotted out. Like, I could have written the ending for, oh, I could have written the ending for Viscera Fest like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And if I were to come back to it now, there would probably only be like minor changes made. Uh, and it would probably be mostly like fi- fixing like some of the dialogue up and some of that stuff. Um, it wouldn't be like, oh, I have to completely rewrite this. <laughs> um, like the the basic pillars have like for the story have been there for for decently long time. It's more so that uh, there are always like with anything like narratively speaking, that's like always work in progress. It's like it's more so like taking those general pillars and solidifying those to like moments in the game. Um, you know, it's like taking, uh, to use an example from chapter one, it's like taking that moment where you go through the arc gate and into Wayward Watchers. It's like that was original. You know, it's like I always knew that moment was going to happen. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like what happened, though. And I didn't know how we were going to handle some of like, the writing stuff for that. And how, like, how was that going to manifest in game? It ended up becoming its own level when I was only planning it to be like a small chunk of another level. Um, and uh, like, it, it's that kind of thing where it's like, I know what's going to happen. And, you know, occasionally I will add some things here or there to like make something clearer or to improve various elements of the narrative. 
that, um, but like the general like structure of the narrative has always been there. Uh, it's just that, like I said, here or there, we've had to make adjustments or changes. And in regards to like the Carolyn stuff and diving more into that, like I said, like there is already an extent to where we were hinting at where that was going. Um, it's just that that was going, if we were ever going to get around to tackling that, it was going to be in a different story. Right. Um, but it's honestly almost worked out better that we tackle it in this story, because I think the problem that would have arise, arisen it, uh, if we were to like say, Hey, tackle that in the sequel or something like that is it's like it, to an extent it might've almost, even if like we hinted at it in the first game, it would have felt like, Oh, this is what we were building. Like, you know, like when you're watching a movie and in a sequel, they reveal some new piece of information and you're like, and you're like, were they planning for that from the beginning? I don't think they were planning for that from the beginning or whatever. Um, and we were, but you know, that, that's like one of the concerns that comes up is it's like, well, uh, you know, we weren't because we were only hinting at it. And even though it was extremely narratively relevant and quite frankly, we probably should have included it from the beginning. Again, we just didn't for financial and uh, for financial reasons, mostly. Um, Even, even though we had that planned out from the beginning, um, again, it just fits better here than it would have if we were to address it later. Um, It's, um, yeah, it's, again, it's hard to go too far beyond that uh, without uh, diving into the spoilers of what they actually are. I will say I'm very excited for people to see it. Uh, I, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's so satisfying when you've been working on something for as long as I have and you've been uh, slow and it's like you get you get to this point where you're working on something for as long as I have where it almost feels like it's never going to be done it's never going to get finished you're never even going to see this thing that you have in your head uh, you're never going to see what that's going to get to look like um, and so to be able to get to this point where it's like I said like we're in the midst of working on that stuff right now like I wouldn't be shocked if my artist Marika is like working on some of the cutscene stuff that I'm very vaguely alluding to. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's so satisfying to get to a point where I, it's like, I can see the end of the tunnel. I can see what everything I've been working toward is going to look like. Um, and in a way it's almost bittersweet because it's like, you know, I have been working on this for so long and it's been a part of my life for so long that to get to this point, it's like, even like even though the end of the development is still quite a ways away, probably another year or so, um, it's still like it's still like man, like all the stuff I've planned for is like finally coming to fruition. Like I'm finally get, gonna get to see this thing that's been in my head for so long, uh, and yeah, it's just like, like I said, it's 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 bittersweet. Uh, and I'm, and again, I'm incredibly excited for people to see it. Like, I'm very, very proud of like what we, what we on the team have done. Um, I, and I, I, I can say like pretty much everyone who like knows what we're doing is very excited for, uh, it to get finished just cause like, 
it's gonna be something. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm mostly excited for. It. Like, I, I really want to see this game through and everything. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be awesome. But a person like you with as much just like raw talent and like brain power as you clearly have, I want to see what you do after this is said and done Mm -hmm. and you have learned all the lessons you've learned along the way. What do you do next? That's going to be, (laughs) what are we going to do next? Well, uh, obviously I don't have, I don't have the sophomore album. You know what I mean? I don't have a clear answer for that. Uh, the big difficulty going forward after Vistar Fest is a lot of my life situation is going to dictate whether or not I can afford to keep doing this. One C has vocally uh, shown interest in working with us in in future. They literally, uh, Anton, one of our main connections at One C, he basically asked me, um, "What are you guys going to do after Vistar Fest? What are what? Are, once the game is all done, you know, once we've done like our post-launch support and everything like that, what are?" What are your plans? And um, and they've basically like you know they want to keep working with us, and I would love to do that, but uh, a lot of that is going to hinge on how financially successful Visser Fest is going to be, um, because by the time Visser Fest done, I'm is going or by the time Visser Fest is going to be done, I'm going to be 23, um, and uh, I'm still going to be in my parents' house, <laughs> and you know I'm going to be wanting to move out by that point. And they're going to be wanting me to move out by that point. Um, <laughs> so, like, a lot of it's going to become, can I support myself with this? Can I, can I keep, can I, can I afford to keep doing this? Um, and uh, if I can, me and Elijah have been discussing potential future projects together. The next thing we're going to be doing is probably going to be significantly smooth. Well, not significantly smaller in scope. But from a development standpoint, smaller yes, in scope. That's the important Be- point. Because you can do more with less, for sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, because I, uh, we realized that, especially like what may appear from the outset to be relatively simple, on a development standpoint, is incredibly complex. And at least for our next thing, we want to kind of have a hump project before we tackle the next really big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we are to an extent excited to work on that because it is, um, yeah, it'll, it, it, we're excited to work on that just cause like it'll, now that we have, and it's like basically Vistro Fest development has been an absolute mess. Like I, you know, I was a 12 year old and like stuff that I started then and the decisions I made then are still having an impact now. Uh, We're still feeling like there's like this slight bit of disorganization internally. And it's like, now that we have like a team set up and now that we know what we're doing and now that we're at least somewhat organized, it's like going into a next project. It's exciting because it's like, you know, we, we basically get to start from the ground up and we get to be much more mentally and uh, literally organized um, in terms of what we're doing. And we have, get to have like, we, we know how to work together now. There's not as much of a learning process and we're not going to be feeling as much as the impact of the impact of the learning process as we are with what is effectively 
my first game at Elijah's, like, uh, he's worked on smaller games before, but, uh, like, having that, like, this is established now and we can move forward uh, and, in general, like, you know, get more done and be more organized is something we're really looking forward to being able to do. As much as we love Visra Fest and as much as we are excited to see Visra Fest through to the end, um, at the same time, we're, we're also, if we have that chance to keep going with this, we're looking forward to uh, being more established uh, and better working together as a team uh, in a way where, again, we can we can be more organized. We can we can have a much clearer understanding of what we're doing and work to, on things together from the beginning, rather than him jumping in like halfway through. Um, so yeah, I would say, obviously, the future is always uncertain, especially nowadays. Um, but uh, we're we're excited for at least for what it will bring, and we're hopeful. Uh, you know, again. I can't thank the people who have been supporting us enough. Uh, like our community has grown substantially and it would be wonderful if we get to keep doing this. So yeah. I am. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to what you do. Like, as I said, you know, a little bit ago, but dude, I can't wait till that interview, like 30 years from now. And it's like, <laughs> let's talk about your early work, you know? Yeah. Remember when you did Viscera Fest and you're just like, oh, yes. Uh, like, that yeah, I'm was not going to remember any of it. <laughs> no, I want you I'll to sound like, like Tim Willis. Oh, like, oh, 15? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, like, oh, oh. <laughs> that, that monumentally gigantic game that I worked on 30 years ago. <laughs> like, you're, you're going to be fine, dude. I know, I know you, you clearly, you have the talent, you have the vision. It's just a matter of like, you getting it all organized and you're already 90% there. You're learning a lot of shit right now. And I am too. We're, we're going to be moving through this industry in tandem, hopefully. <laughs> and I hope we cross paths uh, many, many times in the future, especially when uh, the next update to Viscera Fest comes out and we can talk. About I thought that. you were going to say the next realm's deep. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about each other. You know, we'll, we'll see each other next realm's deep, obviously, but like hopefully between now and then, we don't have to take a year between every podcast. <laughs> yeah. It's up to you. Yeah. You better have uh, something before next realm, Steve. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, well, probably, we probably will. Because uh, Chapter 2 is going to come out pretty early next year. So, uh, yeah, by that point, we should have a decent amount of stuff for Chapter 3 done. Enough that I... Holding you to it. Enough that we should have a little something to show off. Um, the big issue with when kind of like Realm's Deep was being organized this year is like we were like just – we were like in the middle of working on the very first level of Chapter 2. So it's like we didn't really have anything to show mm -hmm. uh, by that point, at least nothing that was like publicly presentable. Um, I would have loved to, uh, but yeah, it just it wasn't ready on time. So I'm hoping next year – I'm hoping next year we'll have at least a little something to show. All I can do is say that I, I've learned a lot from the past two years of Realms Deep, mm -hmm. and I, sh I no matter what format it ends up being next year, I don't know what the COVID situation will be, but 
Yeah. I, I do promise that I will come back a better event organizer than I have been <laughs> for two years. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully uh, we can have finally have that barbecue or whatever Fred's been talking about. <laughs> yeah, we'll bring I, would, I would love to that. do that. Uh, I don't know if I'd be able to because I'm in the States and they're way over. They're in, in the Albor, Denmark. Yeah, <laughs> in Denmark. Uh, so, I mean, who knows? Uh, I might not be able to fly over there. I would absolutely love to, though. That would be really fun. I would love to have you there, man. It, it's a, it's an amazing time, really. It, it's a beautiful little, like, it. you know, what they call a big city in Denmark is like 120,000 people. So it's it's cute, yeah. you know, but, <laughs> but it's it's wholesome. It's, it's nice. I, I like it there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll touch base, dude. Please, uh, of course, like reach out anytime you want. If you have, even if you don't have anything to show, man, just like you know, you want to touch tips. I'm always here. Oh no! And I, I can't <laughs> promise my sleep schedule at least for the next few months. Like, my sleep schedule is going to be fucked up, but after that, I'll, I'll I promise I'll be a lot more available and a lot more. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't fun, want it to be every other around. interview you're having. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine too. I don't care. <laughs> I have like MK Schmidt. I'll, I'll have that dude anytime he wants. Like Stark Explorers. I don't know if you've played his game. You should if you haven't. But what is it called? Star Explorers. Oh, that yeah, dude. I, I have not played it. But he it, it doesn't matter how you feel about the game. Mike is like the most interesting person, and I would just I would talk to him for hours and record it every time. Like <laughs> every single conversation I have with that guy is just like holy shit i just like learned a million new things about life he he's like a he's a grown-ass man with seven children he's a professional artist like he's a painter who decided in his like he's my mom's age you know like yeah and just decided i'm gonna make video games and just fucking did it like and kind of similar to you because star explorers was like a long development process like just took Mm -hmm. forever and you know regardless i i love that game but i get it's it's a very it's niche hodgepodge niche kind of thing the passion that is is more important to me than the game almost like 90 percent of the time it's like if i can really see why someone loves what they do fuck it we're we're talking about it (laughs) that's what's cool that's what the podcast is about yeah so I'll catch up with you later, though. I have to go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll let you do that. (laughs) Take care, man. You too, man. If you haven't already make sure you head over to steam or gog or whatever the fuck you like to buy games on grab yourself that early access copy of this request you won't be sorry it kicks ass thank you to osri for being part of the show again um it's it just really lightens my heart to see how far he's come and uh, knowing how far he's gonna go 
Oh, it's been a, it's been a, a bit of a process getting that you know used to doing the thing, like the normal thing, after getting sleep and all that. Fuck, it's a lot. I promise we got a lot of uh, really cool things coming up over the course of the uh, you know next several months. I think you're, uh, you're all gonna be happy. Do some uh, interviews with all of the developers working on the In the Keep games and shit like that, you know, just to kind of keep everybody in the loop. Uh, if you like the show, or if you like In the Keep, uh, period, anything that we do, whether we the streams, the games, the podcasts, whatever, uh, you probably also like to go to inthekeep.com and check out all the stuff we got there. We got merchandise, we've got other podcasts that I produce, such as uh, Doom is Dead with the multiplayer Doom Federation, and also Bernie Bridges with my man bridge burner so those are great you should definitely check them out especially if you love doom because they both talk a lot about doom bridge burner show is mostly about level design uh, as a whole not necessarily just because he specializes in doom and uh, you can also find links on the website to support you know if you want to uh, just got to say thanks to all the people who currently do and these are just the ones who do it monetarily not just you know you can't pretend like the people who are helping out in the background, all the apostles and in the keep, you want to know who they are, they're in the keeps discord, which is also on the website, but these folks right here, Shannon, Ben, Bridge, Anthony, Mike, Zan, Lord Revan, Fred, Brandy, Jack, Robert, Graceless Dragon, Red Eyes, Brad, Dots, Moose, Paul, the entire Flam Fam, Agrox Simon, and Immorpher, thank you all for putting your money or your content, where your mouth is, we really appreciate you. Goddamn. The song that you're hearing in the background right now is from the Viscera Fest soundtrack. I believe this one is by Marky Motherfucking Music. Definitely go check him out and all that stuff. But, uh... Whew. Just getting back in gear, man. We have so much coming up. We'll be back next week with the guys behind White Hell, Migo, and Projab. Till then, I love you. Katala loves you. Stay in the keep. <laughs>